Welcome to the online home of Providence Christian Church in Cape Coral, Florida. If you would like more information, visit us online at ProvidenceCapeCoral.com. Now may the Lord bless the preaching and the hearing of His Word. The reading of God's Word. If you remember last week we finished the book of Hosea. Pastor Brent finished that and, and shortly we will be starting in the next minor prophet, the book of Joel. In the interim, we'll look at a few more psalms, and this morning, we're looking at Psalm 19. So if you would, turn to Psalm 19 and follow along as I read. Psalm 19 says this, To the choir master, a psalm of David, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask as we turn our attention to the scripture that your word would be as valuable to us, more valuable than fine gold. That the words that we'll examine from Psalm 19 would be sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. We ask that you would open our ears, soften our hearts, that we might hear your word this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. When I was 19 years old, uh, a friend of mine and I undertook our own version of the great American road trip. Now, uh, both of us were very young. We had never been further west than Dallas, and we were both raised in the church, and we had two goals for this road trip that we set out on, and they were not to give our mothers heart attacks. The goal of our trip was to see as much as we could of the American West and to share the love of Jesus with people that we met along the way during this road trip. Now, as you might imagine, we met our fair share of interesting people along the way. 
you get out past uh, west a certain point, and you start running into some very interesting people. Now, one interesting young man that we ran into was in Missoula, Montana. We met this young man, and he had been uh, with his girlfriend for the summer, earning money by foraging in the forests of Northern California. I didn't know this was a way to earn money. Apparently, it is. But that's what he'd been doing all summer, was foraging in Northern California. And he now made his way to Missoula, Montana. They were camping in the back of his pickup truck. And so we met them. We shared a very fine meal with them over a Coleman gas camp stove. And then we started talking with them. And as often happened, the conversation turned to, what do we believe? What do we believe in? And I don't remember exactly what I said to this young man. Some sort of testimony about my belief in God and that I'm a sinner that I confess faith in Jesus, and that's where I find salvation. Kind of a testimony, gospel presentation, all rolled into one. And I also don't remember exactly what his response was, how this conversation started from his end. But what's seared into my mind, even decades later, was that at some point in this conversation, he got upset. And I don't mean upset like angry or agitated, but upset like hurt. There's this young man fresh out of the woods in Northern California, rough around the edges, and I'm sitting next to him, and his voice starts to crack, and tears come into his eyes. He says, if if God exists, if he's out there, and he loves us like you're talking about, well, then why doesn't he tell us? Why doesn't he just write it across the sky? Why doesn't he just say something and make it clear. He was upset. Now, in my immaturity, I didn't know how to respond to this. He was obviously very upset. I was uncomfortable. I had never heard an audible voice from the heavens speak to me. I'd never seen skywriting. So I didn't know what to do or what to say with this upset, hurting young man. One of the things that I wish I had done was turn to Psalm 19. One of the things that I wish that I had been able to say to him during that conversation was, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The sky proclaims God's handiwork. Another thing I wish I had been able to say to him in this conversation is, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, it's more precious than gold. I didn't know to say those things at that time. God hadn't arranged the clouds to form words and sentences and paragraphs in the sky to speak to this young man. He wasn't going to arrest his attention by a booming, audible voice from the heavens. But what I missed out on in that conversation is that Psalm 19 assures us God has spoken. Psalm 19 proclaims, to rip the title off of Francis Schaeffer's book, he is there and he is not silent. Psalm 19 actually provides a stunning response to the pain questions of this young man in Missoula, Montana. If God exists and he loves us so much, like you're talking about, why doesn't he tell us? Why doesn't he make it clear? Why doesn't he write it in the sky? To which Psalm 19 replies, he has. And to which Psalm 19 adds, are you listening? Now, as far as I'm aware... That young man is not here with us this morning. It's been a few years. I don't know if I would recognize him if he walked in the back door randomly or not. 
He's not here to hear this message proclaimed from Psalm 19 about what God has spoken to us in His creation and in His law. But you are. And for each of us this morning, we need this message of God's proclamation, His speech to us through creation and also through His Word. Psalm 19 alerts us that the most basic problem in our broken communication with God is not God's silence. It's the stubborn, sinful refusal of broken people like us to listen. And so as we hear these words from Psalm 19 this morning, it's a message that each of us needs to hear, each in our own way. We need the encouragement, the assurance that God has spoken. Through the wonders of creation, through the perfections of His law, God has spoken to us. We need that reminder. But also, each of us needs to be challenged. And each of us this morning needs to probe the depths of our own hearts with the question that Psalm 19 presents to us. Are we listening to what God is saying? So this morning, we'll engage with Psalm 19 under three headings. First, God speaks in the heavens. Second, God speaks in the law. And finally, God speaks to our sin. So would you look again with me at Psalm 19 and the first six verses, God speaks in the heavens. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them, he set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, no less than C.S. Lewis, who I'll remind you, was not first a Christian apologist, professor of medieval literature at Oxford and then Cambridge, has this to say about Psalm 19. I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. What subject would capture this greatest poem in the Psalter, the greatest lyrics in the history of the world? Well, as we'll see, there's this morning a number of thematic and linguistic shifts that take place in Psalm 19, but there is one subject, one through line that permeates this whole psalm from beginning to end, that ties this together into a beautiful whole that even a professor of medieval literature could recognize how stunning Psalm 19 is. And it's this idea. God speaks. God speaks. In the first six verses of Psalm 19, what David is captivated by is this idea that God speaks in the heavens. What David's convinced of is that God's creation, in these verses he focuses specifically on the heavens, the sky above, and the sun. David is convinced that God's creation is saying something. And in verse 1, David tells us what God is saying in the heavens. The visible heavens, the night sky, the stars and planets and moons, the frightening heights of storm clouds, the infinite variety of cotton ball shapes, 
drifting overhead, the pinks and oranges and pastels of the dawn and the dusk, the blinding light of the sun, they're all saying the same thing. God made us, and He is glorious. All proclaiming the same message. And in verse 2, David makes clear that the heavens, the sky above, the sun, they're proclaiming this message about God's glory and His power in creation constantly. Day after day, night after night, sunrise after sunrise, sunset after sunset, All the lunar cycles, month in, month out, year after year, the same message being declared over and over again. There's no stopping. There's no season of silence. God made us, and He is glorious. But in what would have to be a disappointing realization to my friend in Missoula, Montana, this message about God's creative power, His Glory, it's not being formed by clouds, formed into words and sentences and paragraphs. That's not how God is speaking. It doesn't come forth from a booming, audible voice from the heavens. Look at verse 3. David says, There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In creation, God communicates in a unique way, not dependent on human language, human words, human speech, but is nonetheless understandable and tangible and clear, something everyone can hear. John Calvin puts it this way, the heavens, it is true, are mute. They don't make a noise. They're not endued with the faculty of speech, but they still proclaim the glory of God with a voice sufficiently loud and distinct. They're speaking loudly and clearly over and over. David's use of the specific example of the sun in verses 4 to 6, it shows that this unique communication of God happening day after day, night after night, this message of God's glory, His power and creation, it's a message for everyone. In no less than four different ways, David underscores in this imagery of the sun the universality of God's speech in the heavens. Look at verse 4a. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth. In verse 4b, their words to the ends of the earth. In verse 6a, the sun's rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. In verse 6b, there is nothing hidden from its heat. What's David highlighting here? Every person who has ever lived, from the most remote tribesman to the most connected urban influencer, the most sophisticated naturalist with advanced degrees, the simplest child playing in their backyard, have all heard the same message. God made us, and He is glorious. Now, this imagery that David's using of the sun and its heat should be particularly poignant for us living in Florida in July. No more can you go outside and escape the absolutely blistering sauna-like heat than can you see the work of God's hands and not hear the message, God made us and He's glorious. It's not possible. 
trust me, I was at a youth camp the last two days, you can't escape the heat. If you had to put a gloss on verse 6, there is no one hidden from its heat. God's message in creation goes out to everyone. And yet, as we all know, there are innumerable people in every place and in every time who look at the heavens, who look up at the sky, who look up at the sun, who hear this message proclaimed day after day, night after night, what should be as tangible and as obvious as the blast of heat that is going to greet you when you leave the church at the back in a little while, what should be that tangible to them who never actually acknowledge God's handiwork and God's glory. I say this as delicately as I know how. That might describe you this morning. can look at the wonders of creation and just say, I, I don't get it. I don't think God made this. I don't know if God exists. For each of us, that certainly describes loved ones, friends and relatives and neighbors. In Psalm 19, this beautiful poem by David, David who's the sweet psalmist of Israel, what we're alerted to is that something is very wrong, but it's not a problem with God. God speaks in the heavens. He tells us about His glory and His power in creation. He speaks constantly. His message isn't dependent on human language, human words, or human speech. It goes forth to every person who has ever lived in every part of the world. So why don't we feel God's power in creation, like the heat of the sun on our skin in Florida in July? Why don't we marvel at God's glory in the night sky, the thunderheads, the pastels in the sunset? God is speaking. Why don't we listen? God's speech in the heavens actually alerts us that there's a problem. But in order for a solution to begin to be revealed to us, we need God to say something more. And thankfully, this is where David turns in the next few verses, starting in verse 7. God speaks in the law. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Some of those thematic and linguistic shifts that I noticed that, that take place in this psalm are noticeable here in verses 7 to 11. David's poems no longer fixated on the heavens. It's fixated on God's law. In the original, David's no longer using the generic L term for God, a nod to God's role as creator. In these verses, David refers to God as Yahweh, the Lord, the name that God revealed to Moses, the burning bush in Exodus 3, a name closely associated with God's gracious work of making covenants with his people. But let's not let these linguistic and thematic shifts fool us. David is still caught up, still marveling at this one truth that's a through line throughout Psalm 19. 
God speaks. In these verses, David celebrates the fact that not only has God spoken to all people everywhere in his creation, but he's also spoken more specifically in the scriptures. And if you'll notice in the first three verses of this section, verses 7 to 9, there's six parallel lines. David's almost using a formula of sorts to talk about the scriptures. In fact, these are so symmetrical that many commentaries break them down into a table. If a commentary is not boring enough to read, you've got tables then to work through as you're reading these. You see, in each of these six lines of these three verses, David uses a synonym for the scriptures, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear, the rules. David then gives a characteristic of the scriptures. Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true. Then what he does is he underscores the various benefits of the scriptures. Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever, righteous altogether. What's David doing here? Well, it's worth noting that the symmetry of these six lines, this formula that David's using to describe the scriptures, it would greatly help memorization. There's a rhythm to this. There's a meter to what David's saying. You remember that David is writing into a culture that mostly relies on oral transmission. And so as he's talking about the wonders of God's law, in modern terms, we'd say these six lines are catchy. They're easy to remember. For David, this is a a short, easily memorizable snapshot of the glory of God's communication with his people in the scriptures. This is a miniaturized version of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 goes to great lengths to talk about God's law and how wonderful it is. This is the miniature version of that. Six synonyms, six characteristics, six benefits, just to show how wonderful it is that God speaks in the law. If we didn't get that idea from those three verses, David underscores that in what he says next. He compares the scriptures to two things that even we shouldn't have a hard time relating to, even though this was written thousands of years ago. In verse 10a, David says this about the scriptures, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. In our terms, we might say the scriptures are more desirable than a retirement account plus savings and double-digit return on investment. They are valuable. In verse 10, David says, They're sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. In our terms, we might say they're more delicious, they're more satisfying than a surf and turf dinner at a fine restaurant with dessert. This is something that you want greatly. Two things that human beings seek out universally, wealth, the security that it can bring, the sweet things of life and the pleasure that it can bring. Richard Belcher says it this way, the value and rewards connected to the law are better than those things that humans so desperately strive for, money and honey. The scriptures are better than that, more desirable, more valuable, sweeter What is it that makes the scriptures this way? What makes them so valuable, so desirable, so satisfying, so rewarding? Well, David tells us in verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. By them your servant 
is warned. And with these words, our minds go back to verse 6. We figured out there is a problem that's being highlighted for us in Psalm 19. Why might we need God's word to warn us? Why would the value, the desirability, the satisfaction, the reward of God's speech in the law be found in warnings? Because something is very wrong. If you'll notice, the six benefits of the law that David lists in verses 7 to 9, they begin to show us the depths of our problem. Why we don't listen to God. In verse 7a, we need the law of the Lord to revive the soul because our souls have become dead. In verse 7b, we need the testimony of the Lord to make wise the simple because we've become foolish. In verse 8a, we need the precepts of the Lord to rejoice the heart because we've become miserable. In verse 8b, we need the commandment of the Lord to enlighten the eyes because we've become blind. In verse 9a, we need the fear of the Lord to endure forever because we are hurtling toward destruction. In verse 9b, we need the rules of the Lord to be righteous altogether because we are no longer righteous. And it's in this state that not only are we deaf to hear God's speech in the heavens, we're also numb to the value, the desirability, the satisfaction, the reward of God's speech in the law. And that very well may describe you this morning. Did you hear Psalm 19 talking about how sweet God's words are? You say, yeah, I just don't get it. You talk and you hear Psalm 19 say how valuable God's words are. Yet your Bible sits with dust on top of it. Why don't we value God's law more than maxed out investment accounts and rooms filled with gold bullion? Why don't we desire God's law more than five-star dining and fresh honey? Something has happened to us. Something has happened so that from birth, our souls are dead, we're foolish, we're miserable, we're blind, we're hurtling toward destruction, and no longer righteous. And it's in God's speech in the law that the nature of this problem is fleshed out. Just how bad things have actually become for us. That God could be speaking in creation loudly and clearly to each one of us. He could be showing in his word just how valuable and sweet and precious he is. And yet we don't listen. But it's also in God's speech and law that the solution to this problem is introduced. In a small hint in verse 11b, David says, In keeping them, he's talking about God's rules. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is also what makes the law so valuable, so desirable, so rewarding. The law doesn't just underscore or reveal the problem. It begins to point to the solution. Before we get to that, before we get to the solution, David actually spends a little more time considering this problem. But not considering it abstractly as it might apply to someone else who doesn't see God's glory in the creation. Not abstractly as it might apply to someone else who has a layer of dust on their Bible. David considers, how does this problem apply to me? In verses 12 to 14, God speaks to our sin. He says, who can discern his errors? 
Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now some commentators feel that this shift from verse 11 to verse 12 is so jarring that this can't be from the same poem. It has to be from somewhere else. Sure, you could argue as you look at verses 1 to 6 and verses 7 to 11, there's some shifts there, but it's all about God speaking. But here, David focuses on errors, hidden faults, presumptuous sins, great transgressions, the acceptability of his words and thoughts before God. How did David get here? Well, in fact, David's conclusion to Psalm 19 fits wonderfully and perfectly well with what we've already looked at. It fits wonderfully and perfectly well if the reader of Psalm 19 is actually intent on applying these words to their own lives. See, in verses 12 to 14, David's heart has been warmed by the heat of the sun of God's speech in the heavens. In verses 12 to 14, David's conscience has been pierced by the two-edged sword of God's speech in heaven the law. In verses 12 to 14, we see David actually believes that the most basic problem in our broken communication with God is not God's silence. It's the stubborn, sinful, fallen refusal of men and women, boys and girls, to listen to him. And in verses 12 to 14, David includes himself in that group. He is one of those fallen, rebellious people. In verse 12, David recognizes he isn't even capable of discerning all of his errors. That there are faults within him that are hidden even from himself. He can't even search out the depths of his own sin. In verse 13, David acknowledges the pull, the temptation to presumptuous sins. Blatant sins, sins he knows that he's committing but are just too good to pass up. Sins when he thinks, well, God will certainly forgive me. That's his job. I'll ask him for that later, after I sin. Verse 13, David acknowledges that he is one short, tenuous step away from those presumptuous sins ruling over him, being enslaved by them. In verse 14, David recognizes, most likely in contrast to God's speech and the glory of God's speech in the heavens, the perfection of God's speech in the law, that David's words, David's thoughts, they fall very short of that standard indeed. David doesn't speak like God. So the question is, how have the lessons from Psalm 19 struck you so far this morning? Are you left cold as you hear about God's speech in the heaven? The proclamation of his glory and power and creation going out constantly to all people everywhere? You feel cold when you hear that? Or like David, has your heart been warmed to the truth that God is in fact speaking in starry nights and swirling storms and stunning sunsets, but maybe you don't always listen as you should. Are you numb as you hear about the characteristics, the benefits of God's speech in the law? That it's as desirable as piles of gold, that it's as sweet as honey. 
this doesn't really make sense to you. Or like David, has your heart been pierced by the truth that God's law is more valuable than you could possibly know? That it's more satisfying than anything you've ever tasted? But maybe you just don't always realize it? Are you listening this morning? Are you listening to God's speech in the heavens? Are you listening to God's speech through His perfect law? Are you listening to Psalm 19? Well, if we are, then we should take some cues from David about what a response should look like. And we should look at verses 12 to 14. Because our response should look a lot like confession. Confession to God that there are nooks and crannies of our hearts where sin is hidden that we don't even know about. Confession to God that we're often tempted to presume on His grace, to indulge in sin, Confession to God that we're weak. That in ourselves we are one step away from being dominated by sin, never able to get out again. Confession to God that our words, our thoughts, fall so far short of the perfection, the firmness, the truth, the purity, the holiness of His words, that it's embarrassing when we think about our speech and our thoughts. But our response should also follow David's in these verses and that it doesn't stop at confession of sin. See, in these verses, David also confesses that God is the only one who can declare him innocent in spite of hidden faults. David confesses that God's the only one who could proclaim him blameless in spite of presumptuous sins. David confesses that God's the only one strong enough to free him and keep him from sin's power. David confesses that God's the only one who can declare his feeble words and his straying thoughts acceptable. I mentioned this in verse 11, that God's speech in the law not only highlights our great problem, but also points to a solution. It says, in keeping God's rules, there's great reward. What's David saying in verses 12 to 14? He's confessing that, quite frankly, he is incapable of receiving reward from the law. He's filled with hidden faults, tempted by presumptuous sins, prone to sin's dominion, careless in thought and speech, and so is each one of us. But David also confesses. He confesses faith that God can and will nonetheless reward those who trust in Him. And so can each of us. David, in his time, has his heart warmed by God's speech in the heavens. He has his conscience pierced by God's speech in the law. And what David needs is further revelation, a further proclamation, a further message of how God might bring about the things that he's pleading for. For God to intercede and to miraculously declare him innocent, even though that's not true of David, he needs God to speak again. He needs God to speak in Jesus. And so do we. See, in God's speech in the heavens, we hear of God's glory and his power in creation. In God's speech in the law, we're convicted of the problem of sin. And we're promised of this reward of obedience that we can't attain. We need further revelation. We need God to speak again. 
We need God to speak in Jesus. And thanks be to God, he has. In God's speech in Jesus, we come face to face with God's word incarnate. John 1.1 tells us, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In God's speech in Jesus, we meet the one who made the heavens and the sky and the sun. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And importantly, as we consider this great problem highlighted to us by Psalm 19, God speaking to us, our inability to listen, in God's speech in Jesus, we hear of the one who overcomes the problem of sin and gifts the reward of obedience to all who believe in him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's in God's speech in Jesus that the very great problem of Psalm 19 is solved. Now, it would be great, knowing what I know now, to turn back the clock, to sit down again with my broken, hurting friend in Missoula, Montana, to assure him of the fact that God has spoken in the heavens. He is telling him something in the sky. To assure him that in God's law, he's spoken clearly, to walk him through the wonders of Psalm 19. But mostly, I'd want to tell him more about what God has said through Jesus. Unless he slipped in the back door while I was preaching, he's not here this morning to hear those words. But you are. This morning, you've heard about God's glory, God's power in the heavens. You've heard about the perfection of God's law, its warnings and its rewards. And this morning, you've heard about the depth and the power of your own sin. How it shuts us off from God to where we can't even hear Him speaking. But most importantly this morning, you've heard about Jesus. The most basic problem in our broken communication with God is not God's silence. He is there, and he isn't silent. Are you listening? Let's pray. Thank you for tuning in for today's message. If you would like more information about Providence Christian Church in Cape Coral, Florida, visit us online at ProvidenceCapeCoral.com.